Hello and welcome to Your True Self, a podcast about real life stories of transformation, navigating life and being able to show up in the world as your unapologetic self. Here, we'll talk about the ups, the downs, the ugly truths and the magical moments that we all experience but often feel we can't share. I'm your host, certified transformation coach and mentor, Jackie Rogash. I'm going to share with you how I was able to heal my trauma and move from barely surviving to thriving and ultimately embracing my imperfectly perfect self. Because I know the power of community, I'll also be bringing special guests along for the ride. Throughout these conversations, we'll speak about the different factors that support us during our own personal transformations, including healing, resilience, mindset, connection, and so, so much more. So strap yourself in because it's time to discover your true self. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Your True Self. Recently, I asked my community if there were any questions that they had of me or anything that they wanted to ask me that they wanted me to answer on the podcast. And let me tell you, there were some really, really juicy ones. So over the next couple of months, along with usual episodes and guests, I'm going to be coming in to share with you the answer to the quest- to these questions. And today's episode is answering the first question. And the question that I'm going to be answering today had a few elements to it. So you're probably wanting to know what the question was. The question was, what did your trauma feel like? How did it play out in your life? Did you have any physical responses in your body? And what was your mindset and what were your thoughts like pre-healing? It's a pretty loaded question, right? And I'm here for it. I'm so here for all of this and I will do my best to cover it all knowing that there are so many elements to it um, and I'm bound to forget something because, you know, it was a journey and it's still something that, you know, I'm working on, but it's it's been a journey, right, over a number of years. So I'm bound to forget something. There was also another part to this question, which talks about what my healing looked like. And I'm going to answer that in the next episode just to keep them separate because they really are very different. Okay. So what did my trauma feel like? This part of the question is really interesting because while I knew that I had experienced trauma and continued to do so over a few years. I had a number of different traumatic um, events or situations that I went through. I don't think I actually acknowledged that that's what it was. You know, the sexual assault happened when I was 15 and it wasn't until I was 30 that I started to heal that part of my life. You know, so that was the most significant thing to happen to me. And then you add in the domestic violence and the stalking along with you know, all of the bullying and a few other things. But the sexual assault was the most pivotal moment, I guess. And for those 15 years, I very much kept it a secret. You know, I very rarely told anyone. And if I did, it took a lot for me to open up and talk about it. It was really something that I just kept to myself and I didn't want people to know. And I think part of that was because I carried so much shame and so much guilt about it. Not that I needed to, but that's obviously where I was at. And I certainly don't carry that anymore. So I would say that it played out through suppression 
avoidance and numbness. I never really allowed myself to feel greatly, especially when it came to what I then perceived as negative, air quotes, emotions. And what I'm talking about when I say negative emotions, I'm talking about sadness, grief, pain, hurt, those sort of emotions, basically anything other than happiness or joy. And I just want to preface that with, you know, I no longer see these as negative emotions. They're just emotions that we all have, right? So there's no positive and negative emotions. Sure, there's emotions that make you feel really good and there's emotions that make you feel pretty shitty, but I don't associate them to being negative. They're just a part of life, okay? But in terms of, you know, old Jackie, I'll call her, (laughs) I just never allowed myself to go there. And if I did, I would just lock myself away and I'd numb myself with movies or chocolate or ice cream or training and, you know, just soldier on until those feelings sort of suppressed and then I could get back on with my life. And the other thing is I kind of became a bit of a shell of a human in the sense that to the outside spectator or to anyone who wasn't me, you know, people would have said that I was just this happy-go-lucky person, didn't have a problem in the world. I was always happy to help other people. I'd do anything. Like I was just, you know, always happy. And I remember so many times that when I'm tired, I get really quiet. And there was a few times here and there throughout the years where I would be tired and people would be like, what's wrong? Are you okay? You're so quiet. Because I was just this hyperactive little energizer bunny all the time. Whereas, you know, I realized that that's not realistic and that was just one of the masks that I wore. So that's how other people perceived me. But inside there was a lot of darkness, you know, there was a lot of pain and, you know, I didn't know who I was. You know, there were so many things that I wasn't sure about. Me being who I am is one of those, but also like how to handle things, how to show up as myself, how to start living life for me as opposed to being a people pleaser and you know one example of this in terms of that suppression and avoidance when I was in the police force I always said that I could never work with in socket which is the department that deal with sex offenses sex and child offenses and which is quite ironic considering I then went to you know one of Australia's largest universities and worked very much with sexual assault victims along with you know, other victims, but it was interesting. And I was in a space that I could then do that. But when I was in the police force, I definitely couldn't do that. So that's how I would say, you know, what it felt like. And I guess the answer to what it felt like was nothing. I didn't allow myself to feel it. So I just avoided it. Okay. How did it play out in my life? You might've heard me talk about my cyclical depression, So I am not diagnosed um, other than in 2016, 2017, I saw, I had an assessment with a forensic psychiatrist and yeah, he obviously acknowledged that I was depressed and suicidal at that time. But throughout those 15 years where I just, you know, avoided everything, I lived in cycles where for six to eight months of the year, I was just this super outgoing person, as I told you, and then I would just crash. And usually these crashes came because I just hit a state of complete and utter burnout because I was always burning the candle at both ends. Like I never stopped. 
and then I would just crash and then I would hide away at home for a couple of weeks and wait for it to pass and then I would go back into you know pretending everything was okay then I'd crash again and I should say like when I hit these crashes it was a really dark couple of weeks right you know I had suicidal thoughts and I thought about what my life would be or what other people's life would be like if I wasn't in it and yeah I just I went to those really dark places and often when I was in that space I couldn't I couldn't see a future for myself like I just didn't know what that looked like so you know when I say I crashed and hit burnout it was a lot more than that because it really really was a bit of a scary place and especially when I look back at it now it was like gosh for 15 years I had these thoughts and I just never I never did anything about it and that's not true I did and I'll touch on this um shortly or in the next episode but you know I did see psychologists throughout the throughout the years and they just didn't really help me so it played out through my cyclical depression It also played out through my patterns of behavior. And for any of my clients, you'll know that I talk a lot about patterns of behavior. And the reason I do that is because it's so important, right? I, you know, I was never comfortable when things were good. If someone asked me how I was and I said good, my instant reaction was, oh God, that's, that's uncomfortable. I shouldn't feel that way. Like this is not, this is not how I want to feel. And that's just because that's what I was used to, right? I was used to not feeling good. I was used to being undervalued, I guess. And sometimes that was by myself. But when things felt good, I felt uncomfortable. So I would subconsciously and sometimes consciously probably do something to sabotage that so things weren't good because that made me comfortable. And I know that that sounds really twisted, but that's where I was at. I was more comfortable when there was drama or conflict or something wrong, something to fix in my life than I was when things were good. Okay. Again, pattern and the patterns of behavior, that's one of them, but you could look at training or dating even, for example, like I would date, I've, you know, had boyfriends in the past and I've dated people and my pattern was to meet someone, dive right in and then end the relationship after a couple of months. Everyone sort of said I had my three-month probation with dating and it was very much a matter of if I couldn't see myself with this person, then I wouldn't continue seeing them. So I would just call it off. And when I look at it now, it's kind of one of those things where I just didn't want anyone to be close to me. I really, really wanted to be loved, but I was attracting the wrong people. I was attracting the people who I had in the past and I just never wanted them to get close to me. And, you know, if you're talking about patterns of behavior, look at bitching, victim mentality, self-sabotage, all of those, all of those played out as well. So it played out in my life in many ways, but I guess when I look back at it, it was really that never allowing myself to do the good things you know, never allowing myself to break free of those patterns. So the next part of this question, what physical responses did I have because of my trauma? And this is a super interesting question because at the time, so pre-healing, I would have said none. I would have said that I didn't have any physical responses. Yes, I got triggered by things, but 
I was, again, I was very good at blocking things. I was very good at not letting things get to me. I was very, very, very good. Exceptional, you could say. (laughs) Exceptional at putting up my walls so nothing impacted me. You know, I saw so much, so many things in the police force and there were many times where my mum was would tell me that I need to go and speak to someone. I was just like, I don't know what you're talking about, mum. It doesn't bother me. I'm fine, you know. So that was probably part of the reason. But I obviously got triggered by certain things and when I get triggered, it is that physical response. So the feeling faint, the having the sort of hot, cold flush run over you, getting a bit anxious, that kind of thing. But probably the most interesting thing in this, again, I wouldn't have been able to pinpoint or acknowledge or even talk about while I was going through it, but I have endometriosis. So I had surgery when I was 21 and it was just something that I dealt with. And I, I certainly didn't have it to the extreme that some people do. I know some people who have it severely and yeah, I was fortunate that it never impacted me quite that bad, but I did have it, you know, and it would flare up and it was horrible and all of that stuff. But what I noticed was after I started doing my healing, so after I started doing the inner work, my endo pain dissipated. So it minimized and I very, very rarely got cramps or symptoms. And I put that down to healing. I feel like I was carrying a lot of my trauma in my womb and in my, like, reproductive organs shall you say so yeah that was something that really interesting that came up and I also always had the belief that it would be hard for me to get pregnant because of my endo my cycle was very irregular it was painful there were there were so many issues that I had throughout the years and I thought that yeah I would have issues getting pregnant and when I did get pregnant I do and I say this to lots of people that I don't believe that I would have been able to get pregnant as easily as I did if I hadn't have done the healing work. So that's how I feel it played out physically. And the last part to this question, what was my thoughts and mindset like pre-healing? I've spoken about my cyclical depression. So I think that probably speaks for itself in that I didn't think very highly of myself and I was depressed And I avoided that and I didn't do anything to help that. And I would have times where I would have suicidal thoughts. So, yep, that's a big part of it. Then it's kind of double-edged in a way in that I've always had a really strong mindset when I've needed to. So I actually went to a camp when I was 15 or 16 And at the time they said, it's kind of like a sports psychology camp, but about life. And obviously, you know, it's a life slash motivational slash coaching camp for teenagers, but try and tell that to a teenager or that teenager's parent and you wouldn't understand what we're talking about, right? So that was run with a friend of mine, Dobbo, and he saved my life. You know, at that time, he saved my life because that was... Now, the second darkest part of my life, but at the time it was, I was at my lowest point and that camp really saved me. And it taught me so many tools 
to achieve what I wanted. You know, it taught me how to hack my mindset when I needed to. I guess the problem was that I didn't do the healing work with that. So it was a matter of I could switch on my mindset when I needed to, but it was never lasting. It wasn't something that stayed with me all the time. It was just almost when I needed to get something done. So, for example, I to humbly brag, I guess, maybe there's never been a job that I've wanted that I haven't gotten. So I remember when I was in high school, sports girl opened up in Echuca, which is a big deal. And so many people applied, thousands of people applied, me and all my girlfriends applied. And I remember one of the girls saying, none of us will get it. None of us will get it. There's too many people. And in my head, I was like, I'm going to get this job. And I got that job, right? When I moved to Melbourne, I got the job that I wanted. So when I needed to make something happen, I would make it happen. Okay. But again, it was sort of because that wasn't about me. It was just about switching it on. It was about wearing a mask. It was about showing up when I needed to. I could do that. Right. But then on the other side, my mindset wasn't strong in that I didn't believe in myself. I also used to view life as a competition, you know, and while I am still very competitive when it comes to sport, I was competitive in everything. Okay. Internally, I was competing with my friends. I needed to be the best. And I think part of that was because I believed that I needed to be the best at something or everything in order to be liked and accepted and in order to have friends. But something I found moving through life, and this is probably a reflection of how I viewed myself, was that I felt like I was good at everything, but never the best at anything. So I was trying to prove myself and being that competitive in every area of your life can be really ugly. Like it's a really ugly trait that I had. And I've acknowledged that I've done a lot of work on that. And I now realize just how harmful that was to me and relationships in my life. But again, it was just a coping mechanism for me. It was I need to prove myself to people to be liked and accepted and loved. And I know that that is not true now. Now I know this, but at the time, you know, yeah, that's where I was at. So viewing life as a competition. But the biggest and probably most notable way that my mind worked pre-healing was the belief that I wasn't good enough. The belief that I didn't deserve happiness, the belief that I was a disappointment. You know, I lacked confidence in many ways and was very disconnected from who I was. You know, I chose to ignore so much of me, you know, it was, as I said to external people, I was extremely confident, but internally I wasn't. And again, that's where this competition piece comes in because, you know, if I'm the best at something, then maybe I'll feel better about myself. And it just wasn't the way that it worked. And again, I chose to ignore so much of me. I chose to ignore any softness, any vulnerability, any, I don't know, anything that I guess perceived made me weak. And thinking about it now, that's exactly what it was. I saw these traits as weakness and 
I also knew that if I allowed myself to go to those places that I'd fall apart and I didn't want that. So again, I just lived in this one state with these few emotions that everybody seemed to love and yeah, ignored so much of me. And there were there was two times in the police force and as I said, I've seen some horrible things, but there was two times that I cried. One of them was after a triple fatality, a car accident. And I received a phone call from someone asking what hospital their parents were at. And both of their parents had died in this car crash. So it was, you know, being on the phone to someone and knowing that they were about to receive the news that both of their parents had passed away after a family wedding was awful. And the other one was when a kitten got hit by a car and was stuck in the engine well. We got the kitten out and caught it and took it to the vet and I was driving which was a big thing because if you weren't driving you had to do the notes so I was driving and I told the my colleague that I was working with that I wanted him to drive because I was just cuddling this kitten and crying and he turned around he's like are you crying I said and I just looked at him he's like you don't cry you're the excuse my language he's like you're the toughest cunt I know you don't cry and that really shocked me because I then realized that people saw me just as this hard person, this person that didn't feel emotions. And there was so much of me underneath screaming to be seen, screaming to cry, screaming to show that vulnerability. But I never allowed myself that time and space. And, you know, it was highlighted again when we got back to the police station and the sergeant, he'd obviously, my colleague had sent the sergeant a message telling him, And he's like, you don't cry. He's like, you just get on with everything. And that was a really big wake-up call for me. It was a wake-up call because firstly, I had hidden so much of myself because of my experiences, but also that that's, you know, I was conditioned that way through the police force. So yeah, huge wake-up call for me there. So that's it in a nutshell. As I said, I'm sure there are other things that have come up or that have happened that I've forgotten. But I guess it's been interesting because I know that so many people experience trauma, it impacts them really, really significantly. You know, they get sick or they have illnesses or relationships fall apart. Their mindset is horrible and they never like themselves. Whereas I think because I just suppressed everything, I'm kind of numb to the whole situation. Yes, there were things that played out. Yes, I didn't, you know, like who I was, but there were days that I did. You know, there were days that I did believe in myself or days that I did think I was good enough, but in general, I didn't. And, you know, in terms of it was just about hiding. So I hope this has, I guess, shed some light on my journey in terms of how my trauma impacted me. And I look forward to sharing the next episode with you, which is all about what my healing looked like. And again, I want to keep these short and sharp, these episodes. So knowing that my healing journey was and still is a journey, it's been five, six, seven years now. I won't be going into extreme depths, but I will cover as much as I can based on the question. If you have any questions following on from this podcast episode or if you want to reach out please do 
I'm here for any of it and I would love to connect. If this resonates with you, please let me know. I'm not scary. I love receiving messages. So I will speak to you all very, very soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Your True Self. I would love to connect with you over on Instagram at Jackie.Rogash or through my Facebook group, Inner Transformations with Jackie Rogash. If you love this episode and don't want to miss another one, I'd be so grateful if you could hit subscribe and also leave a five-star review so more people have the opportunity to hear this podcast because you just never know who needs to hear what we'll be sharing. Take care and stay true to you.